we're getting ready to have a live session. It's Billy Holiday. Billy Holiday. So I don't play jazz. I'm not a swinger. My good friend Jason Crane. Now it's jazz. Now it's jazz. Now it's now it's now it's jazz. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is a jazz interview podcast, taking you behind the scenes into the lives and stories of the people who play and write about and love this music. It's also more than a podcast. When you visit the website at thejazzsession.com, you'll find interviews, live jazz news, links to articles, and great jazz sites. The site also features a link to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort by several music bloggers to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. For the month of May, you can donate to the cause and be entered to win great prizes, including CD box sets, DVDs, autographed and limited edition CDs, and more. The grand prize is a 250-gigabyte hard drive stuffed full of music, so uh, do some good for a good cause and follow the bloggers for a cure link today. ASCAP, which is one of the organizations that safeguards performers and composers' rights, announced this week that it will add six new names to its Jazz Wall of Fame in a ceremony on June 1st at Lincoln Center. The six jazz greats include three posthumous award winners, violinist Stefan Grappelli, pianist and composer James P. Johnson, and guitarist Django Reinhardt. The remaining three recipients are also recipients of the ASCAP Jazz Living Legends Award, drummer Louis Belson, pianist and vocalist Dave Frischberg, and vibraphonist Terry Gibbs. In celebration of Terry Gibbs' accomplishments, here's an interview I recorded with Terry in 2004 upon the release of his record 52nd and Broadway. It's a classic anthem of the bebop era played by Terry Gibbs on a new album on Mac Avenue Records called 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. This features Terry and a great rhythm section, plus guests like Nicholas Payton, James Moody, and Sam Most. And, and this is what's going to grab you, a 24-piece string section. Sound wacky? Well, I think you're going to dig the results. And here to tell us about the idea behind this album and about an amazing career from the bebop era to now is none other than Terry Gibbs. Terry, welcome to the show. Hey, nice, nice talking with you, Jason. It's great to have you here and really cool to hear this record. It's not all that often that you hear strings used in this way. This is not like uh, Terry Gibbs and strings. This is strings completely integrated into really swinging music. Talk about the concept behind this album. Well, the whole thing with the idea, I've always wanted to do an album with strings, but I actually, if you're going to do an album with strings, you should do all ballads, you know, all lush things. But that's not what I had in mind. I, I had in mind, if you're familiar with my band called the Terry Gibbs Dream Band, to use it the same way, the strings as big band. I wanted to use it as saxophones and trumpets and trombones and playing 
syncopated figures that big bands would play that usually violins can't play. Violins can sight-read the flight of the bumblebee. They can play four big notes, but they can't play Count Basie's syncopated figures. And when I got my arrangers together and I said, what we're going to do, and they said, you're crazy, they'll never do it. I said that cliche, you build it and they'll come, you write it and they'll play it. And that's what they did. And we... And I use it, like I say, on, of course, on the ballads, there are lush things like any big band would do also. But on the, uh, uh, they play ensemble things where the, Jeff Hamilton, the drummer, has to make all the figures that he would normally do if he played with the Dream Band or Basie's band or his own band. So the idea was to have it sound like a big band rather than a string section. Now, you mentioned your arrangers. Tell us who you brought on to arrange the strings on this album. Well, uh, Howie Scher wrote three of them, and, and Matt Flory wrote three of them. Tom Rainier wrote three of them, and Phil Kelly wrote three of them. I always hire four arrangers because, you know, even though they're all talented guys and you, know, and you tell them what you want and you and also sketch a little bit, you're never sure who's going to come through with, you know, what. But they all came through for me, and I'm really happy with it. And, it's, and I just got the results a little bit today. We just moved up to eight on the charts, on the Jazz Week charts, which is a nice feeling because it's only been uh, out three weeks, actually. And you're already in the top ten. It's it's great stuff. And one of those names you just mentioned, of course, Med Flory, is a guy who's no stranger to uh, taking bebop anthems and arranging them for uh, larger groups. Tell a little bit about his history. He also been working in my band since 1959. He's been working in the Dream Band since 19. 19- he still works with me when I use the band, and he's written a lot of arrangements to me. And uh, actually, Super Sax, which he's the head of, they all play. If anybody knows what Super Sax is, they play. They, they play Charlie Parker choruses, uh, voice out for five saxophones. And that all started my big band when the, when they first brought an arrangement. And Med was in the band, and then later on went to start Super Sax and uh, became pretty famous with that thing. So he, I gave him the bebop arrangements. I sort of gave him the Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie things like Groovin' High and uh, Salt Peanut, you know. And I gave Tom Bernier the, sort of like the big band things. In fact, then Lemon Drop... Uh, what he did, he transcribed the whole Woody Herman record that was big for me in 1948, because I sang the low voice on that thing, which I do here, and uh, I, I, I stretch out the, gave the arrangements, the arrangements I thought would do the best job for the tunes, even though they all would have done a great job on any tune, but I, I, I just lucked out, you know, you you pick guys to do certain things, and, and, and it work, when it works out, there's no better feeling, especially when you're producing it. And getting to and getting all everybody together like James Moody and Nicholas Payton and Sam Mose, these guys are on the road. I had to cancel the date actually three four times, Jason, because Jeff Hamilton couldn't get back from Japan. He was with Diane Krall in time, and then Nicholas wasn't available when James Moody was available. And when I finally got him into the studio, I flew uh, Nicholas in from uh, New Orleans and James from San Diego, and Jeff flew him from Japan. Uh, I only had four hours with Nicholas and, and uh, James Moody to do everything we did. But it's one of those things, once again, the chemistry was right, and it came off right. My guest is Terry Gibbs, vibraphonist. He has uh, been around since the bebop era, always uh, pushing forward, always moving ahead, leading small groups, large groups, everything in between. He's got a new album on Mac Avenue Records. It's called 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. And like I said, when you hear a lot of these albums that are uh, kind of tributes to this bebop era, they're often by guys whose parents weren't even born during the bebop era, but uh, Terry Gibbs is a guy who played with the bebop greats and brings his experience to the table. 
Terry, I want to ask you about your start in the music, but first I thought we'd take a listen to another track from the record. This is the Terry Gibbs album 52nd and Broadway, and Terry's take on Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. Vibraphonist Terry Gibbs there from his new CD, 52nd and Broadway, Terry's original take on Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight. Terry, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, your history before we bring it back up to the record again. Uh, you were born into a musical family. Uh, your brother and your dad both accomplished musicians, and your dad, from what I understand, actually gave you your first uh, break in the music biz. Well, yeah, I, actually, my first break I ever got was, was uh, 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 there was a radio show called Major Bowes Amateur Hour, which, believe it or not, as big as that American Idol show is on television, Major Bowes Amateur Hour was bigger. People like Frank Sinatra won that show, and, and I, when I was uh, 12, 12 let me see, I was 12 years old when I, went, uh, when I won that uh, Amateur Hour, and I went on the road. I've been on, by the way, Jason, I've been on the road going on 68 years. I've been traveling. I know every cockroach in every hotel in the world. You name it, I've been there. And I've been on the road playing professionally since I've been 12 years old. And, and so that was actually my thought. Then I actually played weddings, Jewish weddings with my father and Bar Mitzvah. I would, I would go out on the floor and, and play xylophone solo, sometimes by myself because nobody could accompany me, you know, um, or maybe an accordion player. And, and I used to do those things and uh, played weddings, and then I went into service. And I uh, lucked out. Uh, I, I was a tank driver for a while, then lucked out, got into a band. And played, and then came out, and when I, when I actually I was on furlough when I heard this, uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, and I didn't believe what I heard because it was a, a record band those days. You couldn't get records because of uh, the union wouldn't let anybody record. And this friend of mine, Tiny Khan, who I grew up with, who couldn't go into service because uh, his name was Tiny Khan, but he weighed about three hundred and some odd pounds, looked like a submarine. They wouldn't take him into service. And so when I got home, he told me about a new music called bebop. That's like me telling you there's a new music called that bebop sounded strange to me. I didn't know what he was talking about. Then when I went and heard Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Park, I didn't believe what they were doing. And that just turned my head around. So as I understand it, you spent uh, most of your furlough hanging out at Mittens and watching the beboppers play, huh? I actually, series for 15 days, sort of had what you call a mild nervous breakdown. I didn't believe what I was you, I, I gave up playing drums. By the way, I have a bi- autobiography out. Do you know that, Jason? I do. It's called Good Vibes, right? That's right. That's, that's right. And all these stories are in my book anyhow, so if they buy the book now, it'll be cheaper because I'm giving away the stories. When I first heard Burton did, I didn't believe what they were doing, so I kept following. After 4 o'clock in the morning on 52nd Street, I kept following everybody around to where they went. They went to Minton's till 8 o'clock and played till Minton's till 9, and 12 o'clock in the afternoon at Smalls and another place. 
And then I actually slipped in doorways of stores. I just, it was just, I really flipped out and went back to 56th Street again that next night. So I did that for almost 15 days. My folks had the police looking for me because I never went home. I never even called. I just didn't believe what I was hearing when I heard Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie because it was so completely different than anything that was happening in music I ever heard. My guest is Terry Gibbs. His new CD on Mac Avenue Records is called 52nd and Broadway Songs of the Bebop Era. I want to talk more about uh, your experiences in the in the Bebop period and also with, with Woody Herman and after. But before we do that, Terry, I thought we could check out your version of Jumpin' with Symphony Sid. That's new music from vibraphonist Terry Gibbs. He's got a CD out on Mac Avenue Records called 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. You heard James Moody right there on the saxophone and a 24-piece string section in place of where you might hear a horn section with a big band. Now, we were talking about, uh, Terry, about your hanging out at Minton's and watching a lot of the Bebop greats, and then uh, you were in a band with Alan Eager and Max, Max Roach called the Bebop Boys, is that right? Well, I wasn't in a band. I recorded with them. That was, I think, the, the first major record date that I did. I did the, my first record date with a clarinet player called Aaron Sachs, but the, none of us were really known. But with Alan Eager, Alan Eager was very hot those days. This is about 1946, something, 45, 46 when I first got out of the service, and there was Max Roach and Curly Russell and, and uh, Duke Jordan on the date, and it was my first big-time date. But Alan, I knew Alan. I met Alan before that, and, and then he asked me to play on his record date, and I was really knocked out about it because uh, Alan was sort of like big-time at that time. And soon after that, from what I've read, uh, you were in the Dorsey Band for maybe the shortest stint of anybody ever in the Dorsey Band. <laughs> yes, well, uh, one song. I I went I I went on a train. I was on a train from for five days because my mother when Tommy Dorsey called me and asked me to join the band in California. I lived in New York at that time, and and uh, my mother wouldn't let me fly. In those days, everybody listened to their mother. So I was on a train for five days and got out to California. And they picked me up at the railroad station and whisked me out to a place called Casino Gardens in Santa Monica out here. And I set up my vibes just about two tunes before intermission and played one tune with the band. And I said, what am I doing here? I actually trying to le- learn bebop and here they're playing Song of India and, and things that Tommy played in, in the 40s and the 30s. And I gave my notice. I quit the band after one song. And I look back. Well, when you're young, you do those kind of things. You, wanna, you want Music is the most important thing in your life. You know, it still is, by the way. Now, uh, shortly after the uh, the one tune with Tommy Dorsey, you, by way of Chubby Jackson, uh, made your way into Woody Herman's band, the band that uh, came to be known as the Four Brothers Band. Uh, tell us about uh, Herman's Heard. Well, that was probably one of the biggest thrills of my life, because uh, uh, when you look at the personnel, 
of that band. Chubby got me on the band because I went to Sweden with Chubby, and when I got back, Chubby went with uh, Woody, went back with Woody, and I was uh, I, I went with Buddy Rich's band, and then I quit Buddy Rich's band, and then I got a call to join the the Woody Herman band, and you look at that lineup of Stan Getz, Suit Sims, Al Cohen, Serge Shalov, Fred Rodney, Shorty Rogers, Don Lamont, Chubby Jackson. Uh, Bill Harris, uh, yeah, it, it's ridiculous when you the, the band was so great, and Ralph Burns writing arrangements for the band, and to just join the band, I was only about twenty-two. Was what, a, what an honor that was. Tell us about the tune "Lemon Drop." Well, "Lemon Drop" became a hit for me. "Lemon Drop" became because I, you know, it's funny. I, I played on "Early Autumn." I actually won the Downbeat Award from from my eight bar solo on, on uh, "Early Autumn." Stan Getz and I both won the Downbeat Award after we recorded that one. But Lemon Drop, I got two twenty-five dollar raises because of that dumb thing. On my record that I do there, that you have a fifty-second, I sing the low part and high part. But the low part that I sang on Woody's band, uh, Chubby sang the high part on on the record on Woody's record. The low part got me two twenty-five dollar raises. I mean, it had nothing to do with my music. It, it became such a hit for Woody's band. And by the way, that arrangement on Fifty Second and Broadway is is the same exact arrangement. Tom uh, Rainier. Uh, uh, transcribed it off the Woody Herman record and used the violins just like the brass and saxes. It's the exact arrangement that Woody Herman played, and I and, and we did it for that reason because to write another arrangement wouldn't sound right. So Tom transcribed the whole arrangement, and it, it's really getting a lot of airplay too. My guest is Terry Gibbs. Let's listen to the version of Lemon Drop from his new Mac Avenue recording, Fifty Second and Broadway. My gosh, it goes by fast. That was Lemon Drop from Terry Gibbs' new album, 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. We're talking with the vibraphonist who's in the sixth decade of his performing and recording career. It's an amazing record matched by uh, very few, if any, people who are out there on the scene today. Uh, We're talking about the time in Woody Herman's band, uh, following Woody's band. Uh, Talk a little bit about what happened to you uh, after you left Woody's band. I couldn't get a job after I left the band, seriously. Uh, After I left the band, uh, because the word bebop wasn't too well taken, because unfortunately Charlie Parker, who was a genius of all time, the genius of anything in jazz, uh, was unfortunately hooked on dope. And everybody thought that everybody that played bebop was was a junkie, and that's the furthest thing away from my from my life. Because to start with, for a few reasons, I knew it was wrong to start with. Secondly, if I go to the doctor right now to get a shot of penicillin or whatever he's going to give me for a cold, whatever it is, he's got to catch me. I'm afraid of a needle, so I I I never did that. But I couldn't get a job. 
for about uh, five, six months, and then I got a call from Benny Goodman. Now that's big time, and that that and that also that really started my the Louis Herman bands got me known. Uh, the, but Benny Goodman, we were on television, and so that got me a different uh, different kind of work. I I I was getting called from everybody you can think, every producer is in the studios to come in, whether it be play two notes or a million. Uh, I got parts to play that my grandmother could have played just because I was with Benny Goodman. They figured anybody with Benny Goodman has to be that good. So that was a big big thing for my career. Now, Terry, in 1957, uh, you moved to L.A. And tell us about the club, The Seville. Well, that, 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 now, you know what they, what they call like a Hollywood star, a, a movie story where everything is like exaggerated and uh, I think there was years ago a picture with Mickey Rooney where they needed money or something they're going to make a big show in a barn and it's like four billion show up and people show up well this is like a Hollywood story I wanted to record a big band and then uh, and I, so I got the arrangements written and because uh, I did a, I recorded a big band in New York and I didn't like it and this and I had something in mind to do when I first got here but then I heard that a famous arranger got in trouble for rehearsing. You can't rehearse for a record date because they want you to make the money in the studio or in overtime. And so I, I got all this music and I can't rehearse my band. And I just don't want to go into the studio and just play. So what I did, I, 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 I went into a little club. I, I, I went to the studio with five-piece band. They asked me to come in with a little group in the meantime. And it was the group was Connie Condoli and Russ Freeman, Charlie Hayden, and Stan Levy and myself. And we went in the club, and then I found out, uh, we played on a Tuesday night, and I found out that you can rehearse for a nightclub engagement. Believe it or not, you can rehearse for a nightclub. So I figured, I asked the, the owner, I said, hey, Harry, how would you like to have a 16-piece a, a band What you're paying me for five? Because the scale those days was $15 per man, and he paid me enough where I can pay everybody the scale. Yeah, and the guys would have done it for nothing. They just wanted to play so bad. He said, I don't care, because we don't do any business. I'm going to close the club anyhow. So I, I made an arrangements to play at, at Seville on a Tuesday night. We went in uh, a Tuesday afternoon all day and recorded. I rehearsed the band. I got a chance to rehearse the band. We went and recorded. And all I expected at the club, now these are the days, by the way, uh, uh, big bands were not in uh, because Dave Brubeck uh, was making more money with four pieces than Count Basie. There was no reason to start a big band. So most musicians started little groups. And so uh, we were, like I said, uh, uh, didn't expect about 20 people there. And Steve Allen, who at that time, before I worked for him, was a good friend of mine, gave me a plug. And then we told people, we expected maybe some musicians to show up, and that would be it. Well, after we got done recording, we went to the club. We had to start at 10. We got there about 9.30. Sure enough, there were 20 people sitting there, and I went in the back room, because those days he did four or five shows a night. And I went in the back room, because I only had 12 pieces of music, 12 arrangements to play for for for. for for four hours, five hours, and, and those days you wrote short arrangements. So what I did, I said, letter A, Con we're going to open this up, and letter A, Connie Gondola, you got 100,000 choruses, and letter B, Frank Rosalino, you got two million. I was going to open it up, so each tune would last 13, 14 minutes. So after I talked it over and we went out to play, we walked out, and there were 300 people sitting there. Look, and there's a line waiting to get in. And, and not only did you see all the musicians, like Shelly Mann and four other all these great musicians, but there was Fred McMurray and June Hay, all, all the movie people were there. Ginger Rogers. Uh, you wouldn't believe all the movie people. And so I took the band back 
and, and, and the, I said, everybody back in the dressing room, and I said, you know, we're starting a band tonight. And the first rule is there's no drinking off the bandstand. If you want to drink, you're going to drink on stage. We're going to have a party. And we went out there and tore up the place. And so we figured, God, let's, the guy who owned the club said, let's do it again next week. So we went, hey, great. Once again, we went at 9.30, 20 people. We figured, well, it's a fluke. You know, one night we had a lot of fun. By 10 o'clock, once again, I'm lying around the corner trying to get in. And this went on and on every Tuesday. And we, he said, let's try five days a week. And we tried five days, and you couldn't get in the club every night. It was, it's like, like I said, it was a Hollywood movie story. And if you read the book, you'll even hear it better. You'll even read it better. My guest is Terry Gibbs. His new CD on Mac Ave is called 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. Also has a book called Good Vibes, which is his autobiography. A lot of these great stories of his time in the Bebop Era and beyond. You mentioned uh, Steve Allen there, and a lot of folks may not know that uh, you actually were a musical director for the Steve Allen Show. Did that come from your time with uh, with Benny and all the TV exposure? How did that work out? No, actually, it, you know, Steve was a fan of mine. Steve, used to, Steve, when I worked at Birdland, he used to come in the club all the time, and I taught him how to play with vibes. I get him to play some vibes, you know, some piano, and I would do his show as a guest. And then I actually, um, in 1964, I got called to conduct for Regis Philbin. To, to, I was living in New York, back in New York again, uh, uh, to conduct, uh, Regis was starting a new show. Well, in fact, he was taking Steve Allen's place, uh, and he was a young kid, and they hired me to be his musical director, so I started doing television. I started writing and conducting television, and Steve offered me the job of, uh, of conducting for him, and uh, that was, that's what it was. Well, first, he actually offered me the job conducting for him for a show in Las Vegas, he wanted me to play in the show and then conduct the show. So then he says, if I do television, you want to do that with me? And by that time, I was ready to sit down. And I said, sure. So for about 16 years, I was his musical director on television and, and nightclubs. My guest is Terry Gibbs, vibraphonist extraordinaire. He's got a new CD on Mac Avenue called 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. Also has an autobiography called Good Vibes, the story of his life in music. Uh, Terry, talk about uh, some of the guests like Nicholas Payton and James Moody and Sam Most, who you chose for this album, and uh, and why you picked those particular guys. Well, to, to start with, you know, you, when when you do when you produce an album like this, and you don't have a regular band, and you have this whole thing in mind with all, all the big strings and everything, you have what you call your a your a list of guys, and and then you have your b list, and they're all good players, but you pick guys that you think will play well together. And I lucked out; I got my a list. Now, with Nicholas, now James Moody, I know, who I've known for years. Uh, in fact, uh, on September the 12th, he's been uh, an award, uh, getting an award at UCLA, and they asked me to present it to him. Uh, and so I know, Nick, we go way back. About eight years ago, I was conducting, uh, 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 we were on a, on, a, on a jazz cruise on, on a boat uh, going somewhere, uh, to this, uh, to the, uh, somewhere down the islands, and uh, they asked me to put a big band together at the, the last day, because Steve Allen was on the cruise because it was his birthday. If I put a big band together, and Nicholas was a, just a young kid in the band. He must have been 24, 23. And I played the thing for my dream band, the songs, and I, I opened it up for some solos, and I gave Nicholas a solo for just 16 bars. And he knocked me out so much because every note he played was a good note. In fact, he reminded me so much of Fats Navarro and Clifford Brown that when I put this, this CD together. I called him because he was my first choice. There were other guys that would have been good also, but he had that big fat sound and he was very, very melodic player. And I was looking for guys 
who played bebop, and I wanted some, one of the, some of the younger guys, and let's face it, uh, all the heavyweights, uh, the Dizzy Gillespie's and Freddie, huh? these guys are, are all dead, all the, the heavyweights. And, and Nicholas, his name will be around in 10 years from now because he can play. And I said, James Woody, we know, and Sam Most, I know. And Sam Most, that was a last-minute, I, I, the same day uh, that we did that, uh, where I used him on the record, it was when I hired him. I actually hired him to just sing with me on Lemon Drop. But then when he was there, I figured, God, I, I got these ballads. Why should I play the whole solo? I'll use him on those, and then I use him on that. And then I did a song I called well, Bobsicle Course. And that was a last-minute thing, and, and once again, it all came together. My guest is vibraphonist Terry Gibbs. His new CD on Mac Avenue Records is called 52nd and Broadway, Songs of the Bebop Era. You can also hear or read, I should say, many of these stories in uh, expanded form and a lot more about Terry in his book, Good Vibes. Terry Gibbs, it's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you and just hearing uh, some of the amazing stories from your career, and I I thank you for uh, taking the time to do it. Jason, it's been my pleasure, and I really thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for playing my record a lot because I I appreciate it very much. That's Terry Gibbs, one of the newest names on ASCAP's Jazz Wall of Fame. Congratulations, Terry. Until next time, you've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. Please visit the show's website at thejazzsession.com, where you'll find interviews, live jazz news, and links to other jazz sites. You'll also find links to subscribe to the show. If you can, please subscribe via iTunes. It's free, and it guarantees that you'll always have the most recent episode of the show right there waiting for you whenever you want it. This site also features a link to Bloggers for a Cure, a collective effort through June 2nd, by several music bloggers to raise money for cystic fibrosis research. You can donate to the cause and be entered to win great prizes, including a 250-gigabyte hard drive stuffed full of music. Follow the Bloggers for a Cure link, do the right thing, and uh, get rewarded in return. I also write interviews and reviews for AllAboutJazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. If you'd like to contact the Jazz Session, send an email to Jason at thejazzsession.com or call 585-473-5304. You can also join the mailing list, which you'll find at thejazzsession.com. When you join, you'll get periodic updates about the guests who appear on this show, plus other news from the jazz world. The theme music for the show is by The Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. Thanks very much for listening. Remember to support live jazz wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.